Welcome to a special episode of our Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity. For more information on the Rainmaker Multiplier process and a list of all podcasts in this series, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. All right. So today's going to be is going to be a, a cool kind of experience for a lot of people, I think, because we'll talk a little bit about an overview of what business succession is versus business continuity, because I think that's a good thing for people to understand and kind of what the kind of three key questions to answer when it comes to business succession planning. And then just along with those questions, what some of the most common answers or responses a lot of people will have for there for those three questions. So I'll, I'll kick it off here in a moment, just giving a little bit of an overview. But first, what I wanted to do is welcome James Comblo, who is, who's here, and he is the one that took over a firm that had an untimely execution of a business succession plan because his, his uh, uncle who owned the firm, wait, Ed was your uncle, right, James? I know you guys are all related over there. I just don't know what the... Yeah. Yes. That was my uncle. Right. But he, he had an untimely passing and then James kind of had to scramble a little bit and maybe some of the three key questions we'll talk about weren't answered as specifically as they could have been or in writing. And that caused a lot of stress on James and the family to have to deal with that. So he's going to tell a little bit of that story. And then Charlie and Tim are joining us. How you doing, Charlie? Good. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks for being here. And Tim? Doing well, Jason. Hope you're doing well. Yes. Yes, sir. So they're going to talk about their story where they're being a little bit more proactive in answering these questions and getting a plan in writing. So yeah, just, just to kind of start the level set things. I think that from a definition standpoint, you have business succession and you have business continuity. And I think the best way to think about it is business succession is being proactive and put in actually executing a strategy up front, typically in preparation for retirement, right? It's where you're actually executing a strategy proactively up front, knowing that it's coming and you have typically a good three to five year window that you're able to take, put the plans in place to pass on the business or sell the business to the next generation. Where business continuity is if something untimely happens, you have that written document of what's going to happen when that happens, right? Who, who's the, and, and that goes to the, to the three questions that I kind of referred to. And I think the three key questions to answer for anyone who's thinking about business succession or business continuity. And I think everybody should have every single one of us who owns a business or works in a business, you should be really getting on the owner to have this in place is a business continuity plan. What exactly, like who will own or buy the business, right? There's three questions. Number one, who? Who will own or buy the business? Number two is what is the business actually worth? And then number three is how, how 
will it be funded, right? By those that person that's going to own or buy the business. So who will own it or buy it? What is it worth? And how will it be funded? And so those are the three key questions. And I think ask and getting those questions in writing, right? Or the answering those questions and getting it in writing is a great first step at a basics, right? For a business continuity plan in case something untimely happens. And so when, when you start thinking about answering those three questions, so the who's going to buy it, you primarily falls into two categories. And the first category is going to be really a third party that your business is either going to kind of roll up under, either be merged with or acquired by. And so that's really a third party kind of purchase outside of your existing owners or employees um, or advisors. And then the second group is exactly that. It's, it's any other co-owners or family members or key employees uh, that could be advisors as well that are going to purchase the business. So, so the, the who is going to be one or the other. You're either going to be merged or acquired or roll up under a larger organization while you're, while you're, you're still working or once you pass away and you're going to have that in writing. Or number two, it's going to be somebody who already has some ownership, maybe another advisor or key employee or a family member. So that's kind of the who. And then from a what standpoint, what is it worth? I think what what to for all of us to be looking at and considering, I know at JL Smith, I get an annual valuation done every year. It's a subscription we subscribe through to through FP transitions. And there's another group and they're two brothers and they've both those groups have spoken at our mastermind events and succession resource group is the name of the other group. And they're both fantastic. And they offer a service where they can do valuations. And it's good to get one on an annual basis because they even coach you up a little bit of how to continue to improve your valuation year after year. And that way you have something in writing of what it's after actually worth. If a business continuity plan has to be executed, that's untimely and unplanned or business succession plan with the person that you're planning on selling or merging or your business with. And then lastly, before I'm gonna ask for some stories here and personal experiences around these three questions, is the, how will it be funded, financed or funded? And so when you think about how it's gonna be funded, if you're, if you're going to roll up or be acquired or merged with a larger organization, chances are it will easily be able to be bank financed, which means that you have the ability to get a lump sum payout, right? And a, and a larger you know, like check up front as a business owner, because the bank will loan that money and then the buyer gets to pay back on with the terms with the bank. But if you're selling to a family member or a key employee or another minority owner internally, it, there's typically more limited options for that. So then what happens is the owner in many cases ends up holding the note. And so it's kind of self-financed where the owner's holding the note and the, the buyer 
is so the seller owns the note, it holds the note, and the buyer, being the family member or key employee, is is making payments over a period of time to buy that buy that business out. So let's go let's go back, and what I'd I'd like to start with you, James. And when we talk about like whether these three questions were answered in your situation with you and Ed. So who will buy it, what's it worth, and how it will be funded? And then just kind of tell your story a little bit, James, of what what of those questions were answered and which ones weren't, and what was your experience by them having them answered or not answered in and writing? Yeah. So for us, the easiest question to answer was who would buy it, and I was the obvious answer. I was kind of the only person who could buy it because... I thankfully I already had the relationship with our 50 largest clients. So, you know, it was kind of like, Hey, James has to take it over. And we have four other advisors and everybody just wanted continuity, right? Nobody wanted to go to a new huge RAA or something like that. So I was the obvious answer for that. The hard part was what's it worth, right? Because my uncle who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and was no longer with us nine months later, wanted to make sure that he got the absolute highest value for his family when he was no longer going to be here to continue earning. That was a very difficult sticking point for us. And we did go to FP transitions and have them do evaluation. Unfortunately, I didn't agree with the valuation. So he didn't want that one. And we got a different one. And he, and it was just this thing where he wanted like a large multiple and it just wasn't what it was worth. So obviously that would have been an issue for me. The third question, which was also a sticking point, was the financing. How are we going to pay for this thing? And there's a thousand ways to structure that part of it. But for me, what made sense was having the business basically self-finance where I would pay an income stream for 10 years. I asked for a larger look-back period, so two years as opposed to a 12 or 15-month look-back, just because there wasn't going to be a transition and there was still a lot of clients that didn't meet me or the next advisor who was going to take over. And there was just a lot of uncertainty there. So we didn't really have a defined plan going into it outside of who was going to take over. And truthfully, it took a lot of soul searching and heartache between me and my aunt specifically, but also the whole team. We have 11 people on our team. So it's like, hey, there's all this uncertainty. What's going to happen? Thankfully, we ended up working through it, but it took us about a year, a little over a year to actually finalize it and make it a done deal after Ed passed. So James, a couple follow-up questions. The, the FP transition valuation, and then did you actually get another valuation in writing from a second group? Not in writing. Just opinion. Well, we, what we did was have preliminary conversations and they basically said they were going to use the same thought process as FP transitions. And so it wasn't worth it to pay for it. Yeah. And that's a whole nother topic we could do a whole coffee break on is valuation methods, discounted cash flow, multiple on EBITDA, multiple on gross profit, and then separate versus first year commissions and reoccurring revenue and a multiple on what those multiples are on each. And so that actually is a consideration to do a whole nother topic on as well as business continuity in in the actual documents and questions to get answered. But the thing I wanted to ask you about is how, a couple of things. One is how far off from the FP transitions valuation 
did you guys end up settling in on? How close was it? No, that, that's actually what I went with because after when Ed was no longer with us, he wasn't there to say, no, it's worth 6X. And FP Transitions essentially gave me a 2.6 valuation, right? A multiple. So on reoccurring revenue or an EBITDA or what? On reoccurring revenue. Got it. Yeah. And so when I went to my aunt after, and it took a lot of explaining and talking through everything and why this is what it is. But at that point, the other issue is that he was no longer here. So if anybody else were to buy the practice, it would have been at a one multiple, maybe. Right. And it kind of would have been like a no guarantee at that point. So it, thankfully, I was able to still do the deal at what it was truly worth. But that was what FB Transition gave us. Now, 2.6 is pretty close to industry average, between two and three on reoccurring revenue. And then they typically apply a different multiple to first year commissions. Did you guys apply any kind of multiple to first year commissions? No, I didn't discount for people over the age of 80. I didn't discount for brand new clients or anything like that. We just did across the board that same multiple. Just 2.6, just on reoccurring revenue, but then you didn't do anything on first-year commissions. Nothing on first-year commissions. Which makes sense because Ed was the main driver of first-year commissions, and then he passed away. And right. so, you know, that in your situation, I see that making a lot of sense. And then, so the, let me see, there was one other thing. So, Ed, oh, the one other thing I wanted to add to is, Advisor Growth Strategies is another firm that does valuations for larger firms. And so when I say larger firms, I'm thinking you're probably two, two and a half million plus of revenue. That's more where Succession Resource Group and, and, uh, and P Transitions, I think they're more geared towards smaller firms. When you start getting into an enterprise or a larger firm, you know, that that's another resource to consider. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, James, is you had re referenced a look back, right? Of like, and you talked about 12 to 15 months versus two years. Can you explain to everybody what you're referring to there? Yeah. So with any transaction, whether it's in our industry or another, there's always, hey, this is what we expect to be the recurring income for the business. For our business, if people leave, because I'm not the advisor they signed up with, I'm not the one they had the relationship with. If they decide to leave at any point during this given window of time, I don't want to have to pay for them if they're no longer going to be with me, right? Because the business is no longer generating that income. So it's not worth anything. So typically what I've seen is a 12 to 15 month, what I call look back to decide, let's reevaluate who's still here. What relationships have we solidified? Have any left? We take those off of the price and then we re-amortize what we, what we will do is re-amortize the whole note again over the next eight years. So I asked for 24 months just because, again, it was so much uncertainty at the time. And how long has it been now? It's been about 15 months. Okay. And do you anticipate needing to execute that clawback or look back provision? Yeah. So there was... I think in total, we lost like a million and a half dollars of assets. Um, oh, that's it. Yeah. On a book that was pretty large. So it, it was really minuscule. So it won't really affect anything. It just 
it was the peace of mind that I had going into it that, hey, I'll have time to meet these people and, and take care of them. Got it. Got it. That's good. That's good. So it's pretty successful given the fact that most of the key core components weren't worked out, but you guys were able to. Luckily, you got that valuation beforehand and already the who was identified, but what it was worth was identified even though it was disputed to a certain extent. And then you really had to work out the terms and then just use the what that yeah. after put in place. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And typically on clawback provisions or lookbacks like that for that protect the owner, it's usually assigned like a percentage and 10% is pretty industry standard. Like, so that would mean it'd have to be less than 10%, then it doesn't go back to get renegotiated or redrawn up. And it sounds like with 1.5 million on a couple few hundred million of assets from what I recall, James is, yeah, pretty good. Real good. It's pretty good. We're happy. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Built on the foundation of the award-winning bucket plan process, Clarity to Prosperity's proven processes, training, and coaching can help you increase your revenue. If you are a growth-minded, independent financial advisor, you qualify for a free copy of the bucket plan book. Go to claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer to get your free book today. That's claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer. So Tim, Tim, I'd, I'd love to hear from you and Charlie. And if just to kind of stay in that same context, the who will buy it, what it's worth and how it'll be funded and what you guys have been doing and then what other considerations, because there's a lot of others, but you, as everybody knows, I like to keep everything in threes. <laughs> so what are the other considerations that you guys have been going through of the transition or the business succession plan of you and Charlie. Sure. So Jason, I know you like to keep things in three, but I got to add one more and that's the why. Why do you want to do this? In my situation, and we can all we can all think of a, of a couple of simple reasons why we want to retire someday. Another big why is we want to make sure our clients are taken care of and they're people and need help. But the other big why for me is, is you just never know when you're going to hit your last day. So last year, I was given a presentation on Social Security. My heart stopped and I collapsed in front of the audience. And fortunately, there were people in the room that knew CPR. They found the device, shocked me seven times. A couple of days later, I woke up and I was no more mentally impaired than I was previously, which some people would argue was already a large mental impairment, but those people don't know what they're talking about. So the, the point is, you could be 35 years old, and next week could be your last week. So I think the why is important, too. You want to get the value of the business for your family. You want to take care of your clients, and you never know when it's going to happen. I had looked for somebody for years and finally had given up when a friend of mine called and introduced me to Charlie. So Charlie actually came on and worked, I think it was just a couple of weeks before the incident that I had. So that was great timing. And so we were able to identify the who, what it's worth. We're going through FP transitions as well, looking at some of those and how's it going to be paid for. We're probably going to have a, the same kind of arrangement where 
Charlie's not going to be required to come up with a large down payment. We'll just pay it out over the years. And essentially, I just pay myself back out of the trails that will already be coming in from the business that I've generated over the years, right? So essentially, Charlie's just going to take those revenues and pay me out of that. And we're still working on the valuation and so forth. That's been great. I would say, as I think about it, a key point for me was to, once I identified that Charlie was a good fit and that he was able to do the job, I wanted to make sure that I was keeping him around and treating him like an owner. And Jason, you had given me some guidance along those lines. So I don't want Charlie to be compensated so poorly that he has an incentive to go work for somebody else. And then I have to look for another key man again. I also don't want him thinking like a rep. I do some business, I get a percentage. I want him thinking like an owner. So even from the start, I've tried to include him in all the decisions we make. Seminars, what are we doing? What are we doing with this document? What is the color of the carpet look like or anything that has to do with the kinds of things that an owner would be involved with so that he's thinking along those lines and we put in a quarterly bonus for profitability which was a suggestion you gave me Jason and so I I would hope that Charlie sees himself as a partner and a future owner as opposed to just a rep I think that's important because once you've identified that person you want to keep them around. Absolutely. And Charlie, how about from your perspective? So how long how long has it been now? What month was it last year that you joined the firm? And yeah, so on- we're we're coming up just on a year. And so it's been a great opportunity. It, fortunately for Tim and I, we've had the opportunity to start to do a lot of this work before, unlike James was able to, but we've spent the last year really. I would say defining our processes and and how the the firm conducts business because it's easy if you're just a solo practitioner to just do it your way and if you want to change things you can change them on the fly but once you start to incorporate team members and maybe multiple advisors you really got to start thinking about what's the what's the processes of the firm so that the clients are going to experience a consistent they're going to have a consistent experience regardless of who they're working with. And that was really important for me so that as we start to transition these relationships, we'll start to look to, to make that transition while Tim's still involved to make that handoff that much smoother. But that's going to help retain that business in the long run because those clients are going to have a consistent process. And we've wanted to make sure that we're promoting this as a as a marketing advantage or as a competitive advantage too. So that when clients are introduced to our firm and they see that there's only one or two advisors, they know that we have a plan in place so that if anything unexpected happens, just in the same way that we're asking our clients those questions, what are your plans for the, when the what if happens? it's important that we communicate that we've done that planning on the business side as well. And so we've tried to use that as a, as a marketing piece, really, and as a competitive advantage. 
Yep. And Charlie, how long have you been in the business? Because you just said some smart stuff. So I think you've been in it for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the business. I've been in the industry for 17 years and I've had pretty much every type of role in the industry from client facing to behind the scenes. So I guess I have the perspective as I, as I'm able to see it from multiple angles, Mm -hmm. Uh, but going forward to Tim's point and thinking of things as a business owner and not just as a rainmaker or as a, a lead advisor, it's really important. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're dead on Charlie. That's one of the core key things that you want to do is get the business processes in place and identify kind of just the existing. So for example, Tim, might have had certain skills and capabilities that you don't have. And and you may have certain skills and capabilities that Tim doesn't have. It's very likely that's the case. And so for you guys to really understand that, not only the business processes, but analyzing the people too. And so looking at the people and saying, where are we going to have gaps? And what are the future hires what type of core competencies or skill sets or, or how they're hardwired. Are they hardwired to, for example, let's say Tim was a hunter and you're more a farmer, right? Charlie, a, a relationship nurturer and continue to earn more of that business. But Tim was more of that. Well, a well-rounded business probably has both capabilities. So maybe you start identifying, and I'm not saying this is the case, but you might identify, well, I know that my next key hire, even if it's a client service associate, run one out of college, I want to make sure they're hardwired to eventually have that ability because that's not something I get joy or happiness out of or not necessarily my unique ability. I, I agree 100%. I think the other thing you got to take into consideration is your existing employees too, because for us, for example, we've got a couple of part-time people on our team that were hired by Tim and they all, at, at the beginning of the their experience with the firm, they were they agreed to sign on and work with for Tim. And so now if I come into the picture, that can be a disruption but it can also be, you can spin it in a positive way and make sure that everybody still understands what their role is and where their seat is on the bus. And, and Charlie, yeah, that's a great point. And I think like to piggyback off that, again, if we had to kind of break it down into three of a keys to success of getting maximum value out of your business as a business owner, the first I would say is driving reoccurring revenue. And so whether that's taking annuity trails or AUM, but it's it's really continuing to drive reoccurring revenue, it's going to grow the valuation of your business. The second is what you talked about, Charlie, is mitigating risk. And so mitigating risk, right, to a potential buyer, they, they want to have as least risk as possible. So the better processes and procedures that you have in place internally and the people that are happy and, going, and are a good fit and are going to be stick around after the new owner comes in place, those are some of the biggest risks, losing key people. And then the business goes awry 
because the owner was micromanaging everything. There wasn't written processes in place that empowered the other team members to do what would needed to be done. So that's number two. Number one is driving the reoccurring revenue, key to success. Number two, mitigating risk through process and people improvement and systematization, however you say that word. And then the third is, is really organic growth. And so when you think about organic growth, organic growth is getting referrals because you have a great client experience that's happening and you have a referral process, you're asking for them. And then the other thing is doing some kind of marketing for organic growth, right? Or marketing or business development efforts that are in place in the business. And so if you can drive recurring revenue, mitigate risk, and, and show a re- proven record of organic growth, you will get maximum valuation for your business and be well prepared to be able to, to, to have an opportunity to pass that on to the next generation. Jason, I would just add one other thing coming from the established owners. And I think it's important to put your ego aside and realize that making some changes uh, that the new energy or new life might be bringing in can actually be a real positive for the business. And we have a tendency, I'll speak for myself and people that I know, we have a tendency to say, well, I've always done it this way for 35 years and this has worked for me and you need to do it exactly like I did it. And I don't want to hear any new ideas. And that's just not smart. We, Charlie and I, because I've been open to say, hey, Charlie, if you have an idea, let's Let's talk about it. And if it makes sense, let's do it. And and being able to set aside that ego, and this is my baby, we got to do it my way, because that opens up opportunities. And I would say that today, because I've done that and Charlie's offered valuable input, our processes and systems are better today than they've ever been. And had I just insisted on, no, we do it like this, and that's just the way it is. Charlie would not have been engaged, and we would have missed a lot of key ideas. So so I've just encouraged people to, to look for that opportunity to get more synergy and energy and new ideas from that relationship. I think that can really be important. 100%. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tim and James and Charlie for joining us today. Next week's topic is Tax Management Journey with Dave Allison. And thanks everybody for joining and we'll see you next week. Interested in learning more about the topics discussed today? We want to know more about your challenges and priorities and how we can help build your custom roadmap to success. That's right, a custom roadmap built just for you. Schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of our business development partners. Visit c2pe.info forward slash podcast to schedule a time that's good for you. That's c2pe.info forward slash podcast.